Under his eye, blessed be the fruit. I'm Sarah. I'm Robert. And welcome to Minutes 61 through 64. Uh, pump of the volume, which begin in the, we're still in the Hunter residence at the dinner table. The news is on. And we find out that they have charged the anonymous radio operator with criminal solicitation and the suicide death of Malcolm Kaiser, which Mark doesn't react well to. So what is that charge exactly? Do you know? And would that actually happen? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Criminal solicitation and suicide is very specific and hard to charge because it's basically like the people who like bully someone by saying, yeah, kill yourself, oh, which right. he absolutely did not do. There was that case that was on Netflix mm-hmm. a little while ago with the boyfriend and the girlfriend yeah. where she'd sent him like hundreds of text messages. It- it's a weird charge too, because even we already saw the detective was saying, "No, this is FCC territory, like it's their job." But the in the they got the DA to go for something else, and so that's not good news for Mark. Meanwhile, Brian, we just told them to listen to this. As soon as they say elsewhere, you he know he knows what news stories are happening. Yes, <laughs> turns off the TV using the remote, even though he's could probably reach it with his arm. Um. And as he talks, Marla takes his plate, she takes hers, she's cleaning up the table. And Brian asks, Mark, have you ever listened to this character? And Mark does not give a very good answer, because this is very suspicious. Yes. He says, no, not exactly listened. Although neither respond, neither parent responds right. to that suspicious well, answer. that's the thing is, in the script, Keith, Brian, mm-hmm. says, well, I'm going to listen tonight. And Mark says, I don't think he's going on anymore. And Marta, Marla, says, how do you know? And in the script it says, a hint of su- suspicion. She blinks. Keith misses it. He is typically self-absorbed. <laughs> so the script is implying that the mother is kind of noticing. And so then Brian comes in. He's knocking the best school in the district. And apparently he goes there. Just Such an odd statement because, of course, someone who goes there is going to be the one who's going to knock it. Yeah. Nobody outside is really going to care if they're right. Who's going to care if one <laughs> high school is doing some is has something weird going on other than someone? Yeah. And Mark says, "Well, that is not exactly the best school in the district. I mean, there are some problems with it, which his father doesn't hear at all. He yeah. just keeps talking." You notice this is the first time that Mark is actually trying to open up to his parents mm-hmm. and share something that he feels, and they just blow right by. Yeah, she's busy t- putting dishes away, and his father's. Just talking past him because his father says, I figure you don't rock the boat, especially if you're sitting in it. Such a cheesy, horrible line. Doesn't make, I don't know, for a next hippie, like wouldn't that have been his whole thing? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the boat. That's the only boat you can rock is like right. you're sitting in. Yeah. yeah he, supposedly he was a hippie who fought against the system. Who still has guitars and Grateful Dead posters right? up in his office. It seems so weird. <laughs> Brian is such a sellout. He's not even good at it. And so then Brian gets up and he says, anyway, we should get going. I don't want to be late. As we pointed out last time, he, as the commissioner, is already late. He was supposed to be at the meeting before the meeting. And as he gets up, he touches Mark on the shoulder and as he walks his past. So he's trying something. 
And Marla says, come on, Mark, it's your father's big meeting. Yeah, even she's not focused on Mark's feelings or Mark, which she sometimes is. But Oh, no, in the yeah. script, this is good. Yeah. She adds, besides, what have you got to do that's so important? And the script <laughs> says, does she suspect? She has a wry look. Yeah, but the the film doesn't give the us any of that. The film does not give us any of that, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the script, it's like she's maybe figuring something out. And then, so Mark looks up, the camera lingers on him, and we hear Crestwood's voice come in before we cut to the auditorium. He says, good evening. On behalf of myself and the staff of Hubert Humphrey, hi. I would like to thank you for turning out in such numbers. Now, this is the auditorium, probably of Saga's High School, I don't know for sure. On the stage, we have Brian Murdoch, a priest, who in the script is described as a prim Episcopal priest. His name is Rodney. Stern, who we've seen before, Emerson, and Deaver. I'm pretty sure Emerson is a brand new teacher, they imply at one point, so I'm not mm. sure why she's on stage. I guess just because she cares. Yeah. There is no empty chair for Crestwood, which is weird, as if she was going to just do all the talking. Yeah, and, and not sit down after one. Yeah, and up above the stage, just like the bulletin boards outside, it has big words. It says persistence and commitment. Yeah, I noticed those little de- <laughs> details that they've done well with. And there's a really sad little Centurion logo on the lectern. It looks mm-hmm. like it was added at the last minute. And uh Crestwood continues, I congratulate you on your concern. We get a shot of Emerson, who looks kind of bored. And it says, now before we begin, I would like to introduce our new school commissioner, fresh from several educational triumphs on the East Coast, Brian Hunter. Now in the film, Brian stands, waves, and then sits back down. In the script, he actually says a few words. He says, I just want to say that this school is one of the reasons I took this job three months ago. I was excited about working with Loretta Crestwood and inspired by the example she has set here at this school for the other schools in my district. So apparently this yeah. school already has a good record even three months ago. So her kicking people out is not new for this year, which is interesting because we never get that in the, in the film at all because yeah. no one checks. And if they have a good record, I don't know, why do they need to kick so many people out if they're doing it's fine with the people they <laughs> They just do it every year. Yeah. And uh she starts to speak. Before I introduce the rest of our speakers for this evening, so she does plan for people to talk, we get, um, who I described, uh, he's parent, PTA parent number one in this, in the credits, uh, it's the white guy parent. His name in the script is Kurt, and he get, he interrupts and says, excuse me, Mrs. Crestwood, can we just skip the preliminaries and find out what you're doing about all this? That's kind of a movie thing, right? Cause you have to advance the yeah. <laughs> plot along. We don't, we don't want the boring, <laughs> boring meeting. meeting. Yes, exactly. Like, can we hear the media, the minutes from yeah. last meeting? Cause this, this is an emergency PTA meeting. So it, right. actually, yeah, it, it actually makes sense that when I get things. Oh, you got some random voice in the back. There's a random voice that keeps supporting people through this whole thing, which is hilarious. And like, good idea. Oh, yeah. They just <laughs> had that person. Whenever somebody says something, <laughs> tell them they're great. And Creswood responds, well, when I introduce Mr. Deaver, we get a shot of Deaver, who has a bionic pin, by the way, on his jacket. So he made pins. Okay. <laughs> yes. Was it Believe okay. It or Not, I Care? Believe yeah. It or Not, I Care. So, That's hilarious. He I made didn't a notice. pin for it. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll talk about our 24-hour hotline. And we see a uh, parent we'll see in a little bit. Um, what's his name? I forget. Marshall. He's the, the, the black parent. We'll see in a minute. Says something to the woman next to him. And Crestwood continues. And he'll also discuss, but then Kurt interrupts again and says, Now, wait a minute. The kids who need the most help, like the ones with drug problems, they don't go in for stuff like that. So, uh, he's blaming the the kids and assuming that they don't want help. Yeah. 
just so what does he want them to do how does he know this like (laughs) why is he assuming this oh but it gets better because then we get i think she is actually parent pta parent number three or four in the credits they're out of order Mm -hmm. in the script her name is sarah she's the white the white lady parent way too happy about life and (laughs) optimistic because she says i know kids i mean they just want to be happy which adds nothing to this conversation and also if that's true why are they all turning into mark's show yeah why why why, are they all rebelling when he's talking why did one of them just kill himself why did one of them just blow up her microwave yeah i mean in a way she's kind of correct they do want to be happy but they don't (laughs) just want to be happy and saying they just want to be happy doesn't do anything to deal with any of the problems that are preventing them right? from being is she happy. responding to him saying though the drug kids will call the hotline because they want to be happy or is she no. responding to crestwood i don't know why she, i get why this line is included because they want to have that weird parent who isn't like yeah just thinks it's all going to be fine uh crestwood says would you please sit down and we get another parent which in the script is larry but this is another woman who gets up and says, I mean, she could be named Larry. That's her prerogative. Yeah. You don't know. And says, frankly, this radio person is the whole problem. And the random voice says, that's right. <laughs> and we hear someone say, are you going to allow this guy to be heard by anyone who can... Oh, no, she says this. Are we going to allow this guy to be heard by anyone who can turn a dial? And we get a shot of Emerson leaning forward. She's starting to pay attention. And Crestwood says, please, one at a time. So she's already losing control of the meeting. This is when we get... Marshall, the black man, who in the script it is specified is an ex-cop. I'm not sure how they plan to get that across to us. Like Describing a character yeah. as an ex-cop when he has one line in the whole film, hard to convey. Does he have like an ex-cop pin? Yeah, I don't think he's wearing anything now, if he were that a cop, conveys law like Maybe he's in uniform and he's at the meeting. That would be interesting. But He says, look, I work with teenage gangs in the city and I say we go after this guy. And... The script specifies that this is the previous white guy who says this in the background. Says, yeah, remove him physically. So <laughs> basically they just want to hunt down this radio guy and arrest him, which, you know, is what they get. Spoilers. And they have two black parents in the entire audience and decide that one of them is the one who worked with gangs and wants to remove someone physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have more problems. Just all of the... <laughs> I just realized it's even weirder in Arizona in 1990 because the gangs in Arizona are probably Hispanic or, like, indigenous people more than black students, at the, like, black kids. And, I mean, uh, as a as a police officer, he still could have worked with whomever. True, it's yeah. just having two black audience members and having one of them be the one that worked with gangs and wants to remove someone <laughs> physically, it just... It's pretty racist. Um, also, just all of the parents in general where we have incorrect assumptions, blaming individuals, like this radio person is the whole problem. No, the radio person, Mark, is there because there are problems. And well, he's well, no, you don't also. have problems until someone tells you about them. Just like you, right. don't, you, can you don't have COVID them. cases unless you test for them. Exactly. If you just never asked anyone if they were happy, then you could just assume everyone's happy mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about anything. And then white lady Sarah would be great. She'd be like, yeah. yeah, see, they're all happy. No one said they're not. It's all fine. And then you also, with the remove them physically, war, physical aggression, physically rather than listening to or getting to the root of the problem. The PTA parents are very American. Yes. In terms of how they want to deal with issues. 
Now, we've had problems with Brian so far, but there's a nice moment here because when they say remove him physically, we get a shot of Brian and Murdoch on the stage. And Brian is like, he looks uncomfortable. He doesn't like what they're saying, which is good. He's starting to have a problem with this. And we get some voice, possibly Kurt, saying something about the same old rhetoric. What are you gonna, what are you doing to find this guy? Cresswood jumps back in. Please, we can't have this kind of meeting. This is not the way I want this. This is when Brian gets up to try to intervene. He says, it's fine, everybody. You will all be heard. I promise. At this point, we also see Paige is approaching behind the audience. And before Paige approaches, so interesting, you have this conflict between Cresswood, who's just straight out authoritarian, like mm-hmm. this is the way it is too bad. And Brian is more representative of the centrist or the civility guy who he says he wants to and will hear everyone. But you know that he's just saying this so that he can say that he did it before he ends up siding with Cresswood anyway. Most likely, yeah. Which <laughs> doesn't really make him any as better. As a commissioner, it's kind of his job. And also as a commissioner, he has lots of schools. So he can't hang out at each one and listen to every parent that he can want to even, but he can't, it's not going to be possible. And so then we get a shot of Mark and his mother and he says, that's the girl who blew up her kitchen last night as Paige comes down the aisle. And this is also weird. I've had problems with writing in this film a lot, but I think more so in these four minutes than any Hmm. segment that we've talked about yet. It's odd that he would say to his mother, that's a girl who blew up her kitchen last night. As someone who's trying to keep a low profile, it seems like he'd be nervous about Paige approaching since he already freaked out on Nora about it and not so casually say to his mother, like, I don't know, I'm just putting myself in the mind of somebody who is on the radio, who is afraid that he's going to be found out, who is freaking out every time Nora tries to talk to him about it. Yeah. Saying so casually to his mom, oh yeah, that's the girl who blew up her kitchen. Like, I don't, I don't buy it. (laughs) I get, yeah, I get that. I I was thinking more of it, it was more impulsive because he also likes Paige, we've seen. So he would notice her and say something. But yeah, that makes sense. He's been, it's, this is... And he doesn't even... A threat to his situation. He's not even normal about girls. So even if he was just like, oh, hey, that's the girl because he likes her. That's not how he's ever communicated about girls before either. So it's just weird. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah, if he was going to react about Paige, it should have been at home when it was on the news where he'd be like, yeah, she's not that bad a girl or something. Like a defender to his parents because he likes her. But eh, it's just this. No, like that's just some girl who blew up her kitchen last night. When... You're the guy on the air. I don't know. Meanwhile, as as Paige is coming down the aisle, we got Crestwood continuing. This is my meeting. I know what I'm doing. And Brian says again, you'll be heard, I promise. Everyone gets quiet as Paige gets up on the stage and takes the mic. And we get her big speech, interrupted a lot by Crestwood. Uh, My name is Paige Woodward, and I have something to say to you people. Crestwood says, Paige, will you sit down? People are saying that Harry is introducing bad things and encouraging bad things, but it seems to me that these things were already here. Crestwood says, honey, will you please go and sit? So dismissive. And Paige, uh, Paige actually steps away from Crestwood at this point. So she's away from the mic, but she keeps talking. My God, why don't you people listen? He's trying to tell you that there's something wrong with this school. And Crestwood says, what are you saying, Paige? Just go and sit down. And Paige pulls away from her again and says, half the people that are here are on a probation of some kind. And we get a shot of Brian. He doesn't really react, but it's just the thumbs letting us know he heard that line for later. And Crestwood says Paige's name. This is where I noticed Steve's bionic pink, so we get a close-up oh. on him. 
And Paige says, we're all really scared to be who we really are. We get a close-up on her, and she looks directly into the camera mm-hmm. as she says this mm-hmm. line. I am not perfect. I've just been going through the motions of being perfect, and inside I am screaming. And we get a reaction shot of Mark. As Crestwood says, Paige, you were a model student. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, gets, it gets worse. It's writing. Because in the script... Instead of you were a model student, Crestwood says, young lady, I cannot have him defended here, especially by you. Keith jumps in and says, let her speak. And Crestwood says, I will not. What we have here is a model student who's been influenced by an outsider. You're going to Yale. And Paige's response, I can't decide if it's stupid or awesome. Because she says, you know what? You can all go to Yale. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Meanwhile, in the film, as Crestwood has said, you're a model student, Paige is starts to walk out back out the aisle because no one's listening and we get a random voice probably kurt saying something's got to be done look what they're doing to our kids and Paige says one more time why won't you listen and keeps walking this is just like a very 1990s thing like the fear of what heavy metal is doing to the kids yep. and what this is doing uh-huh. to the kids <laughs> and another random voice says let's hear what she has to say and Cresswell even says Paige, come back here you know because even though she doesn't want her there, she also doesn't want her to just walk out on her own terms. Deaver stands up, which is really weird, because in the film he doesn't do anything. I'm like, why did he just get up? Why do we get a shot of Deaver standing up? And I don't know what he thinks he can do. But Brian says, Paige, they want to hear what you have to say. And then Cresswell goes back to authoritarian and says, come back this instant. In the film, we cut to outside. Right. And we have, um, there's a newspaper reporter out there who is talking to some old white guy and his letterman-jacketed kid, because, you know, that's who knows about this situation. Page exits right in front of Shep, the reporter we've seen before, and he says, do you know who he is? Are you prepared to do anything that he says? This whole sequence <laughs> is so ridiculous. I I have such a hard time uh. taking this dialogue <laughs> sequence seriously. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Shep has a new younger cameraman for the night shoot. And in the script, we find out later he also has new equipment. So, like, they're mm. investing in this story. Yeah. And we get Paige says, goes to a camera, not Shep's, by the way, because his hand is off to the right. And she says, can you hear me? Don't listen to them. And that's when we get the newspaper reporter, whose name in the script is Georgetta, comes forward and says, are you on drugs? <laughs> you know, got to get that part. <laughs> Perfect question for this. Um, and Paige says, don't listen to any of them. Stay on. We get another reporter who is, uh, you know, TV. She's got a camera and microphone and everything. And with the hard-hitting question of, has this affected your schoolwork? So dumb. <laughs> what? Uh, oh, man. And Paige says, stand hard. And then that other reporter who in the script is called George. Alan Moyle has a naming problem with his Denny, his Danny, yeah. his Donnie, and his Dana, and his Donna. And now his George and his Georgetta. Um, she says, what do your parents think about this? I... <laughs> uh, maybe she's like the school reporter. A school reporter? She's what from like the is... school newspaper. I don't think so. Isn't <laughs> so she she's like 40? No, that's, this one looks kind of blonde. The the newspaper reporter. The one you says, can Are be you on blonde drugs? in 40. What do you mean she looks kind of Sorry, blonde. I'm trying to tell you which one she is. She's the blonde one. It looks kind of young. Sorry. <laughs> she looks kind of blonde. <laughs> No, she looks fairly young. The the newspaper one who keeps saying, are you on drugs, looks older. But <laughs> I don't know. She's just not very good at her job. No. 
And then Paige growls at the camera, so that reporter backs up, which is good. And then the newspaper reporter says again, are you on drugs? <laughs> now Shep and his cameraman have somehow gotten to the other side of the crowd of reporters instantly. And they're over on this side where Paige is leaving. And as Paige walks away, she says, talk hard. And she flips everyone off and growls again as Shep asks, are you under psychiatric care? Of course she's on drugs or crazy. Next to this question on him, I said, Shep has been hanging out with these slackers too much. <laughs> he was doing okay with the first one. Like, do you know who he is? You know, get to the, get to the yeah. information. Now it's, are you under psychiatric <laughs> care? A, she doesn't have to tell you. Yeah. B, how's that help? Yeah. Three, does she seem like, I don't know. Well, she, she could probably use some. We all could. Everyone in the yeah. city of Paradise Hills, Arizona could use some. And we cut Back to inside, as Brian is saying, please, everyone, try to remember to talk. We don't hear the whole sentence because we get Mark and his mother. As Mark says, I've got a lot of homework. I'm going to take off, all right? And Marla says, Mark, I know why you're really going home, because you want to listen to that show tonight, don't you? Mark kind of laughs, but he just gets up and leaves. Now, in the script, we get more of the meeting here. We actually see this shot of Mark leaving right after Paige leaves. And then we come back, and we get... The parents are all gathering up at the stage, and Crestwood says, This meeting cannot continue until all you people settle down, please. But we get bits of dialogue as each of the people on stage are talking to parents. Deaver tells someone, We do everything we can, but many children drop out for their own reasons. Murdoch says, right? Vague and yeah, how, useless. And what is everything? They don't seem to be doing anything at all <laughs> other than kicking people out. What do you mean? He's got a bionic when, pen. Yeah, and making pins. Murdoch tells someone, when we classify and transfer a student as learning disabled, it's for their own good. What? <laughs> Rodney, the priest, tells people, indeed, these are difficult choices for the children of a society that in itself faces difficult choices. <laughs> and then we get Gil, a parent, says... If your school's so damn good, how come you have so many drug problems? And Keith says, good question. And Jill, Emerson, says every school has some problems. And Cresswood jumps in to say, the community has the problems. The school is clean. What? That's stupid on multiple levels. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish those bits were in there, though, because yeah. it makes them all seem even more useless. Yeah. Uh-huh. I guess as it is, they're a little more, like Cresswood and Murdoch especially, are a little more evil rather than just stupid. Uh, in the film, we go out to the field, and Maz's car and Janie's car are parked, like, front to front. So yeah. So they're, like, the center of everything. One thing we've seen is this community outside has grown much larger, mm-hmm. and they even have, like, big speakers that they didn't have before. You know, yeah, a truck pulls up radios. with speakers on the top, playing the music. Speakers. The students, they have a keg set up. Yeah, and a lot of the students are outside their cars, which are yeah. closer together, hanging out, which in the beginning of the film, you just saw a few people in their cars mm-hmm. with the cars. Yeah, just sitting there because uh, they never say it in the film, I don't think. I can't remember. But Maz in the script specifies you get a really good signal here because I guess because the big open space. Um, and also, yeah, with people mingling about later at the very end of the segment, Janie is leaning on Maz's car instead of her own, even though they're right next to each other, which is nice. Um, the big truck arrives with the speakers. Joey's in the back. We get Peter Murphy's I've Got a Secret Miniature Camera playing, presumably on those speakers, which is going to be, which is going to matter in a moment. But you looked up this song, I looked up this song, and we couldn't figure out much about it specifically. it's from his second album, Love Hysteria, which came out in 1988. 
The song and most of the album was written with Paul Statham. Critics called the album a coherent, tuneful package with tunes that are on the whole pretty listenable. Overall, critics liked it, but it sold poorly, especially in the UK where he'd been more popular before. Mm. The, yeah, there wasn't much about this song at all. No, the lyrics and, are kind of weird. Yeah, another critic said that the lyrics were baffling, and that's like the only thing that I found <laughs> is a brief mention about this song at all. It says, bread is good, bread is fine, bread is money, bread is mine, bread can fill an eager need, bread can buy a heart that breeds, and then you've got, I've got a secret miniature camera repeated as a line yeah. about 20 times. I, I don't know. <laughs> if, if the movie were a few years later and it got like, cut you up in there, that would have yeah. made, made more sense. Yeah. Like thematically. But that was on his next, his, his next album. Um, so we see Nora is leaning on a fence smoking away from the crowd. Maz and Joey say hi. Uh, we get a wide shot of the crowd. And then we see Nora again. She, check, she checks her watch. And this is when Paige approaches from... All she had to do is walk around part of the school, so wasn't far away. Uh, Nora says, yo, Paige, and then gives her two thumbs up. Paige does the same thing back and keeps running. Paige is in really good mood. She's having a good time. And this is where, for me, it got weird. Because not only did Paige come around the school, fine, she had time for that. It wasn't that far. Shep is over there. But he is by his news van as if he just got out of it. He was literally on the other side of the school. He could have walked there. And in the shot a second ago, his news van wasn't in the shot that it should have been. He's parked over near the Jeep, which we could see. But he's getting out of his news van as... Then it gets weirder because Maz comes walking by, returning to the crowd, zipping up his fly like he just went off to pee. When we just saw him shaking hands with Joey in the middle of the crowd. So in a matter of 20 seconds... A news van and a news truck have showed up. The truck with the speakers has turned around and Maz went to pee and came back. <sighs> and it is 20 seconds because the music was playing from the speakers. So time exists. <laughs> but Shep is getting ready. It says 30 seconds. He gestures to his cameraman, who he was just working with at the other side of school a minute ago. He says, okay, come on, let's go. And we get Maz joining the crowd again. He gives someone a thumbs up, possibly Shep. It's hard to tell because the camera's moving. And that's kind of the end of the segment. We could see that uh, Jamie is serving alcohol from the keg and Janie is leaning on Maz's car. And other people are hanging about. I don't know. Overall, any takeaways from this <laughs> turn of events? It's, it's just, it's a little more, it, the segment's good for the movie, I guess, because it shows that all of the adults are useless. And even when the teenagers try to express themselves, it, no one's listening anyway. Whether or not Paige's speech was good, it didn't seem like anyone listened to her, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I hope in that moment where they even ever look at the camera that maybe some teenagers watching the movie heard it or something. That was good. I don't remember that part from when I first saw it. Yeah, I don't remember either. Definitely has that youthful awareness trope. Yeah. The teens and know what's going on and the parents and the adults and the administrators and everybody are... All clueless. <laughs> and we're going to get, this is what, Mark's penultimate show is this night. His last proper one. Because the police are going to be out looking. And so it's going to get interesting. We're more than halfway through yeah. this movie. And if you want to listen to more music and social commentary, you can listen to my other show, Life as a Playlist, and follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And if you want to hear more about useless adults in 80s films, you can listen to my show, Michael Myers Minute, where so far I looked at the original Halloween one minute at a time. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts up! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! Follow this show on Pump Up the Minute on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check lemmedrops.com for links. Talk hard! Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it